Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We have a great show today, and um, I can't believe it's March 4th already. (laughs) The year is just flying. We have Ebby Andrew today. She's actually a returning guest of ours because we loved her so much. Uh, We're going to be discussing the tricks that you need to know to get the best health care. Uh, she, you know, Ebby has worked in the healthcare industry as a licensed physical therapist assistant, gosh, probably over 23 years. Uh, she worked in hospitals and nursing homes and outpatient clinics and in-home health. So she has a really good basis for what she'll be discussing with us today. Some really special information. Her book, If You Have Gray Hair, Beware, Tips, tools, and tricks to get your needs met in healthcare is also really a, a great book. I've read it. Uh, you know, it talks about personal healthcare management. So let's bring her on our show now. Welcome, Abby. Hi. How are you, Denise? I'm good. Very good, as a matter of fact. So. Where do you want to get started on this topic? Because it's it's el gigantic. It is very gigantic, and it can seem so overwhelming for people. But the truth is that um, empowering yourself to just do the little things that you can do to support yourself within our system, um, your overall the ability to manage all of the pieces that go into healthcare. Um, the most important things that people can do is take some action in researching any kind of an illness or condition that you have been diagnosed with. Just get to know what that is. Get to know all the specifics about it. We live in a wonderful age of Internet where Mm -hmm. information is available to us. Knowing the most that you can about your particular situation gives you the opportunity to do the most for yourself. True. Very true. It seems overwhelming, but um, there are plenty of on the Internet where they can um, explain everything in the layperson's terms so that you can mm-hmm. really understand. It sometimes can, can, can be very scary, yeah. though. You know, sometimes when you have a condition scary. and you, you go on the Internet and you start reading the symptoms, uh, it can get really, really scared. Yeah, I wouldn't read symptoms. Um, 
unfortunately, no matter what your diagnosis is, no matter what the condition is that you are currently having to deal with, the symptoms vary a lot between people. So it can scare you a lot if you read all of the symptoms, and those are all the symptoms that all the people have had. But the chances that every person is going to have all of those symptoms is very small. You okay. have your symptoms. If you have a condition that a doctor has already diagnosed, then the best thing you can do is learn the most that you can. Partly okay. because if you know, you can do something. If you don't know, then you can be um, sideswiped by things that you didn't expect because you didn't know what was going on with that diagnosis. Does that make sense? Yes, it totally does. Totally does. I think where it gets complicated for people, and particularly when they get older, is a lot of times they'll have multiple issues going on, and they're taking multiple medications. Yes. Those are called comorbidities. So that if you have more than one condition or more than one diagnosis and you're taking more than one medication to manage those conditions and diagnosis, it can really become overwhelming quickly. There are a lot of tools out there that you can use that will help you to manage those things. Mm-hmm. The healthcare notebook, my healthcare notebook is what I teach people to keep um, in, the, in my book. Um, if you have gray hair, beware, tips, tools, and tricks to get some needs met in healthcare. And the reason that I lay out how to keep this notebook is because it will keep all of your information organized and easily found for any of your healthcare providers. It also helps your healthcare providers know that you're invested in your own health. And the more mm-hmm. invested you are in your health, the more invested they are in your health. Mm-hmm. If you can keep everything together, you'll know exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how to help you. Does your notebook have uh, pockets in it to keep information? Um, or It can. You can use pockets, you can use folders. I personally like the three ring binders. And okay. I use a divider. So I have one section that has my medication list. I have another section that has all of my allergies. I have a section with all of my doctors, all of their specialties, all of their contact information. If you have a durable power of attorney, a person who is uh, you have appointed to make healthcare decisions for you should you be in a position where you cannot make those decisions yourself. And I try to remind people that that includes if you're under the um, influence of pain medication or something while you're in the hospital, then um, that information should be in that notebook so that your doctors know it. If anyone ever calls um, emergency medical services for you, the EMTs Mm -hmm. arrive, you can just hand them the notebook. They have everything right there, your doctors, your medications, your diagnoses, your uh, durable power of attorney, the name of that person. If you have a living will, they have your wishes right there. Everything that they need is right there to take the best care of you that they can, and they will thank you for it. Now, that that is a very valuable tool. 
I hold a, a durable medical power of attorney for a friend, and I've ha- had to put you know all the medical stuff together in a file. But it's it's not that well organized, so I think this might be very helpful. Um, it's on Amazon, correct? Yes, the book is on Amazon. Okay. And um, if you you can either search by title or search by author. It's the only book I've ever written, so <laughs> it's sure. the only one sure. that comes up if you search by author. Um, the um, it lays everything out for you, and it has um, examples of templates. And on my website, um, free templates. You can go there, click, and download. There are a couple for each different um, kind. So I have different versions of the medication list and stuff on there. So whatever okay. you see the best. That way you can keep track of those things and you can look at them and create your own based on what mm-hmm. you need too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's great. I'm definitely going to order it for her. I mean, it's really going to be for me, but. <laughs> well, it's going to be for to help her. Manage, to help you manage her. You should have one as well. I have one. And um, anyone over the age of 18 years old should have a durable power of attorney. And oh. the reason for that is that, you know, your kids might still live with you even though they're 18 or 19 years old in uh-huh. college or, you know, they come home on college break or whatever. But if anything happens, if there's a car accident, if anything happens to them and they go to the hospital, the hospital doesn't. They aren't an adult. And if you call the hospital and say, you know, my kid, I, I'm looking for my kid, and they do not, they will not tell you that that child is there if that child has not conscious and able to tell them to say that it's okay that they're there. And that has to do with HIPAA. We, they won't tell anybody that you're at the hospital unless you say it's okay for people to know you're there. Oh, jeez. And so th- well, this can become a very difficult situation for families if you have mm-hmm. a durable power of attorney and that you keep a card in your you know, purse or wallet or whatever, mm-hmm. and it says durable power of attorney name and contact information, they will contact your durable power of attorney. Well, I always thought they, they just would try to find a family member and contact. Well, one a person is an adult, then they're responsible for themselves. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they will, like, I mean, it, they're treated as an adult like you would treat a 30-year-old. You're not going to go mm-hmm. running around trying to find the 30-year-old's parents. Okay. Although that might be a good thing to do. But mm-hmm. um, because I believe family, but not everybody has that relationship with their family. True. It's very true. Yeah, as sad as that is to yeah. say, it is true. And so they have to be very careful about who they give information to. And once a child is an adult, and even though we may be consider our children our children even when they're 40, it doesn't matter. They're an adult and will be treated like an adult, which means nobody's going to um, offer information if they don't know that it's okay with that kid. Mm-hmm. And if that kid's unconscious, they're not going to give out that information just because. Yeah, I, I recently found out that, you know, a lot of people are afraid to hand over that 
kind of responsibility to somebody else uh, under the medical, you know, the durable medical power of attorney. But what I recently found out is you can change that designated person anytime you want. Anytime. Anytime you want. You can yeah, tear it up at any time. Yeah. And I do up until, recommend. Up until the point wherein, uh, for people that are in early stages of dementia, up to the point when they're ruled incompetent. Um, it is very difficult to get somebody ruled incompetent. It is very mm-hmm. difficult to do that. However, mm-hmm. um, you can change your durable power of attorney at any time. Exactly. The most important thing when choosing a durable power of attorney is to choose somebody that you know will be able to follow what you want, not what they want. Exactly. It's very difficult for people to say, my child can be my durable power of attorney. If you have a really good relationship with that child, that child may not want to let you go even if you want to be let go. Mm-hmm. They may mm-hmm. wish to keep you as long as possible because they can't bear the thought that they had anything to do with unplugging the life um, right. support machine. However, right. you really want somebody who's going to follow your wishes. Well, and they also, be- yeah, the, 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 the HIPAA, they also have a disclosure. It's called a physician orders for life. I think it's life-sustaining treatment. Treatment. Yeah, it's a pink form, and you can have your wishes, you know, to uh, resuscitate or not to resuscitate. So that would take the burden off off that person who has the power of attorney. Yes, And, and if you want anything other than all measures taken to, to preserve your life, if you want mm-hmm. anything but that done... You should have a living will and a post form. The post form is a physician's order of life sustaining treatment. And in California, it may be pink. Up here in Washington State, it is lime green. And it can be a different color or even called a different thing in different states. But it's the physician's order. And you have to go through it with your physician, and your physician has to sign it for it to be. Um, a real document, a legal document. It should also be, a copy of it should also be in your healthcare notebook. That way, in the event that there you that someone has to call EMTs, that notebook goes to them. They know immediately what you want and what you don't want. Yeah. And they can't cross a physician's order. <laughs> right, right. And then this... Uh called PLLST form can go on somebody's refrigerator too, you know, if, if they live alone, yeah. that kind of thing. Yes, there are two places that EMPs will look for it. One is on the front mm-hmm. of the refrigerator and the second is on the back of the front door. Oh, okay. Back of front door or refrigerator. All right. Just made a note. All right. So let's talk about the five things that people can do today to improve their quality of care. Okay. So let's talk about um, knowing how to um, 
keep a perspective on your diagnosis and your your condition. So if you are given a diagnosis or condition or a condition, remember not to own that. That is only something that you are having you are experiencing right now. You don't own it. That does not it's not part of you. It is something your body is going through. And sometimes when we change that perspective in our mind, it really helps our body to understand, I don't have to hold on to this. We can move through it. We can work through it, right? We can study about how to help our body's systems, the things that we can eat, not eat, the things we can drink, not drink, that uh, supplements we can take that will help our bodies to function in the best way that they can. For some diagnoses and some conditions, for instance, um, like the flu, if you get the flu, you know the flu doesn't belong to you. It's just something you're experiencing. It's temporary. You're going to get through it. You just have to support your body in being as healthy as possible. If you get the symptoms of a cold or the flu, the first thing you have to do is stop eating all processed sugar because it feeds the virus. And so you stop eating the sugar, you drink lots of fluids, you drink your tea, um, you research online what things are going to help your immune system. Whatever those things are that help your immune system, those are the things you want to be doing while you're trying to get through this period, right? So anything... Yeah that you have been diagnosed with has um, a system in effect and there, there is nutrition that you can give that system to help it work at its best. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing you can do is allow yourself time every single day to do something that will bring you joy, satisfaction, and that helps you laugh. Those mm-hmm. things improve our immune response and improve every system in our body. So if you're struggling, if you're really trying to get one foot out of the bed in the morning because you're having to deal with a situation, a diagnosis or a condition, allow yourself, set aside time, schedule it, set an alarm, whatever you need to do, to do something that's going to bring you great joy. Start keeping a list of things that your body allows you to do that you're grateful for, right? So I'm really That's a great really idea. grateful. Yeah, my body is very strong. I'm very strong for a woman of my age. <laughs> and I have horses. And I can take feed to my horses. I can take bales of hay. I can lift bags of 50-pound bags of feed. I can trim feet. I can put a saddle up on my horse. I am so grateful for the things that my body allows me to do. And that list, I go through it every day because gratitude helps us in so many ways. Yeah, I love that suggestion. Yeah. And if, if you, one of the things you should ask your health care provider at any point in time, if you're dealing with a difficult situation, a condition, or a, or a diagnosis, ask them, if you or your loved one were in the situation I am in now, what would be the most important thing you would want them to do? Because doctors 
have definite, every, every doctor is uh, trained with a different philosophy. Each medical school has their own philosophy. This is how they attract the kind of people that they that want to go through their program, right? So understanding that each doctor may have a little bit different philosophy on how to deal with things. If you and your doctor see eye to eye and you ask them the question, they're going to be very upfront with you instead of going through just what the um, standard medical treatment for someone with this condition is. They're going to be able to tell you what they think they would do, right? Which could make a little bit different. And it's important to know that. That's true. That's really true. Every doctor has their own bedside manner. I think the biggest right. issue the biggest issue these days is that they, they literally have fifteen minutes with the patient out of which out of that fifteen minutes there's they're inputting things into a computer unless they have an assistant to do it. And you're in and out of there fifteen minutes and you've maybe had seven minutes with the doctor. I mean it's just crazy. That is our for profit healthcare system and they are squeezing the clinicians for every dime they can get out of them. Unfortunately, the productivity requirements for people in um, healthcare facilities have skyrocketed. Um, there are some companies who require a 100 to 105% productivity for the therapists in their, in their uh, company. That's crazy. In manufacturing, a, if you have 40% crazy. productivity, they think that's good. Oh, God. And I don't like hearing that. This is that. the thing, right? So a lot of the CEOs of healthcare facilities like um, hospitals, big hospitals, yes. um, sometimes they have large, large compensation and bonus packages that are given to them if they cut staff. Mm-hmm. If they find mm-hmm. ways to reduce the amount of money that that hospital is able to, has to spend on benefits and staff salaries, then they get a big bonus. What does that mean? Well, that means that instead of, you know, one person taking care of six, six, six people or injured people, now one person is taking care of 14 sick or injured people. And before I became a therapist, I, I spent time training racehorses. They would only let a groom uh, handle three horses at a time because they couldn't take good enough care of them. But in the mm-hmm. hospital, they allow a um, nursing assistant or a, uh, a uh, caregiver to handle 14 patients in some 14? Cases. 14? That's right. That's right. Uh. So protecting oh, yourself is really important. They are, they are making as much money as they possibly can. One of mm-hmm. the reasons why there's a large and, and growing every year group of clinicians, people who do hands-on care, who are fighting for universal health care. I'm sorry, they're, they're doing what? They're fighting for universal health care. Oh, okay. Because it's not for profit. Up until 1973, it was illegal to make profit off of a person's health care needs. And once that changed, our entire health care system changed. It took Uh them about 10 years to really understand how much profit they could suck out of sick people. 
But how desperate are you when you're really sick, willing to pay anything? 63,000 people a year in the United States go bankrupt over health care needs. Yes, that's very true. Although, you know, it's, it's a complex issue. It's so complex. The best we can do is just figure out what to do with what we got now, you know? That's why I do what I do. (laughs) Whether we get, whether we ever get universal health care or not, even if we were to get universal health care next year, like if somebody could wave a magic wand, it will take a long time for the system to change and for the mindset of the people who are working in those systems to change. And Mm -hmm. so what we need to do is take care of ourselves. You cannot give to your family. You cannot give to anybody else if you don't take care of yourself first. So how do we find providers that will do things the way that we want them to do? Well, I talk in my book about interviewing your providers. And I personally like to call the office and talk to the medical assistant and the nurse. And I ask them, if there was whatever situation I, w- I want to make mm-hmm. up, mm-hmm. is this person likely to listen to me? Is this person likely to give me a pharmaceutical? Is this person likely to ask me about my life choices, right? Like, what mm-hmm. do you eat? How can I help you improve your situation? Will they empower me to do things for myself, or will they just want to do it, want me to only do what they tell me? And okay. it doesn't matter what kind of person you are. If you're the kind of person who feels like, you know, I should be able to eat whatever I want and do whatever I want, and there is a pill to help me if I ever have a problem. If you're mm-hmm. that kind of person, there's a doctor out there that will do that for you. And you need to get the health care you want. I'm the kind of person who thinks everything I eat affects my health, and I want a doctor who's going to think that too. Mm-hmm. Right. So no matter what your health care philosophy is for your own self, there is a doctor out there that can meet your needs. And you need to know that the doctor you've chosen is going to meet your needs because they are your employees. You've hired them to do a job. Most people don't think about health care providers as employees. They, like to th- they think of them as the authority figure. But the That's very true. They're your employees. Yeah, that's that is a, a whole different mindset in itself. It is, and very important because you know if somebody doesn't meet your needs, then you find somebody who will. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Yeah, no we've got a lot of created equal. Well, and we have actually we're we're starting to have doctor shortages because a lot of them are retiring. It's you know they have their own private practices they've had them forever and now it's just getting to be so overwhelming that they're just retiring or some of them are retiring early. Well, actually, the life, um, the projected life of a physician from graduation until they leave the industry has gotten much shorter. And part of that is that when they get into healthcare, it's not what they got into healthcare for. 
They got mm-hmm. into healthcare because they wanted to care for people. And healthcare is not about caring for people anymore. It's about making money. Yeah. And and that is just a fact. And they get frustrated and they get upset and they leave. Mm-hmm. And we've lost a lot of young doctors. Not and a lot of doctors are going in as hospitalists. They don't. They're not. They don't want to practice anymore. They True. want to go to work, punch a clock, and 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 punch out. They don't want to know who your family is. They don't want to, you know what I mean? They want to deal mm-hmm. with you in the hospital and that's it. And mm-hmm. and that's because we are squeezing them so badly. And I shouldn't say we. It, 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 it's, it's really the organizations that own the um, health care uh, facilities that hire mm-hmm. the doctors, right? Doctors don't have private practices anymore. And the ones that do are getting run out. They're exactly. usually in groups now, and the groups are I know. by the same people that own the hospital. Yes, but they're not. They're not allowed to uh, be an actual hospital employee. So they create these groups outside of the hospital. Yes, and, and I'm not sure who who actually privileges. owns those. Oh, they do well, not. Paper, no. What most of them do not, because now we use hospitalists. Hospitalists, and hospitalists often work for a group that the hospital actually contracts with. So the hospital contracts with a group to supply so many hospitalists for the hospital, and those doctors come in and they do a rotation. Eight weeks, six weeks, six months, three years, whatever the rotation is, and then they go somewhere else. Oh my gosh! And they can so they'll actually that, you know, they can come in and say, you know, I kind of like this area. I think I'll stay for, I'll sign up for another three months, mm-hmm. you know, or you know, I'm tired of being here. I'm going to not sign up for another three months. I want to try another area of the country or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's there are a lot of places that do that. So no more hospital privileges unless you have a private practice, right? Well, a private practice often do not have hospital privileges. Mm. Often, um, you will only be cared for by a hospitalist while you're in the hospital. Oh, and one of the other things about being in a hospital, you know, they don't even talk to your doctor. You're responsible for providing the information from the hospital to your doctor, which is another reason why you need to keep the notebook. It goes with you to the hospital. It goes with you to the doctor's office. Any changes have to be written down in it. I keep it. I kept it, and uh, twice my mother has been in the hospital, and twice I've had her healthcare notebook there. And I've made the nurse write down every single vital. Every nurse that took vitals had to write down those vitals and when they took them, an initial. I had them each sign it. I had every doctor that came in sign it. Often, um, we will get a bill for a doctor who consulted on something and mm-hmm. but they never actually saw the patient well technically that's not legal you need to actually put your hands on the patient if you're going to charge that patient if you consult with somebody else and they never look at you and they never touch you 
they can't charge you. Yeah, but if you don't pay that bill, that it'll go to collections, and good luck on that one. Well, see, this is this is the thing, right? If you have insurance, you have to call your insurance, even if you have Medicare. Oftentimes, there are things on the bill that you never receive. Now, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, be it a mistake in billing, be it on purpose, whatever, and remember that this is a for-profit system. They are making as much money as possible. You really should be looking at your bill because if they charged you for oxygen and you never got oxygen, you need to call Medicare and say, you know, they never gave me any oxygen, but they're charging me for oxygen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I never saw this doctor. They weren't in my room, and I can prove it because I have a health care notebook, and they had to sign if they came in the room. Yeah, it, it brings me back to when it. it brings me back to when I was in my twenties and I had to have um, an operation, and I got the bill, and I had I had insurance, although I was responsible for eighty for twenty percent of the bill. And I had the time, so I would go through all the bills. And there were so many items that I never, ever had. So I called up the administrative uh, department of the hospital, and I went through the bills with them and said, I didn't get this, I didn't get that, take this off, take that off, take that off, take that off. <laughs> yes, yes. And that, and was, that, that was a very long time ago. <laughs> yes, yes, and it's just gotten worse since then. Oh, jeez. Yep. I'll have to tell a friend of mine who's, whose grandson's in the hospital right now um, about this Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. And I, I really feel like people don't understand that health care is like buying a car. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't go out to buy a car if you didn't know anything about the car. You're going to do some research and find out, like, how much is this car supposed to cost? Where does it mm-hmm. cost here? Where does it cost there? Why haven't you done that with your health care? Mm-hmm. And not only that, but if you are going to pick a hospital, you really need to do some research on your hospitals and find out what hospitals have the lowest infection rate. If Where do you, you find that out? If you live, well, you can find out on um, the state health um, websites usually. Here in Washington State, you can look up any hospital. You can look up any health care provider. You can look up any doctor. You can look up me. I'm registered. It'll say inactive because I no longer have my physical therapist assistant license, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it will tell you if there have ever been any complaints against me. There haven't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we but have. It will yeah. say that for every doctor, every hospital. Mm-hmm. It will tell you what the complaint was, how it was um, handled. And, the, and every single state has a state health department. And okay. they are required to report infections to the, health, to the state health department. So every state health department knows how many infections come out of what hospital. You can find out that information. It's public information. Okay. Yeah, I've always known about the doctors, and if they've had legal things against them, you can find that out, you know, online pretty easy. Um, just wasn't, I just wasn't knowledgeable about the hospitals with their infection rates. Well, not only, not only legal things, but complaints aren't necessarily legal. But you can find out if they've had complaints. 
Yeah, okay. They may never have Good gone point. to court. They've never, they may never have oh, been litigated. But if there are complaints, you'll find them. And mm-hmm. I have to say, not everybody, there, there are people out there who will make complaints that aren't, aren't based in reality, right? True. There are True. people out there that will do that. So you do have to watch, you know, to see that, look at the complaint and see if, you know, it makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Some of them have mm-hmm. to be taken with a grain of salt. Although if you see a doctor that has 18 complaints, you might want to think again. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're all for the same thing. I wonder how many nurse, actual registered nurses are on a hospital floor these days. For each state, there is a different requirement. So it depends upon what state you live in, and that is also available information through the Department of Health. Um, okay. I happen to know that when I was in Ohio, the Department of Health um, said that there had to be one nurse to oversee um I think it was 15 patients, one RN <laughs> to oversee 15 patients. And for each, for each state, it's different. Yeah. Well, in California, there's, there's certain hospitals that um, these um, assistants come in and they'll just take everybody's temperature. They'll just go down the hospital right. rooms and take temperature. Somebody else comes in and does something else. Somebody else comes in and does something else. <laughs> you hardly ever see the actual RN. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And she's doing um, a lot of paperwork, I can tell you. Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> there are mountains of it. And I have yep. to say that I, I have deep, deep respect for the nurses that I have worked with. They mm-hmm. are invaluable. Oh, they really are. What a hard job now. It is a horribly difficult job, especially when you're trying to manage that many sick or injured people Mm -hmm. um, on your floor, and you have only so many staff to help you manage all of them, and Mm -hmm. you have to take care of the doctor's needs. That's difficult. Jeez. They're not paid enough. <laughs> oh no, they are not paid enough. I can tell you, they are definitely superheroes. Mm. And think of it this way: they risk their lives far more than um, many of our uh, our military people, our military personnel. Mm-hmm. You can bet that every single nurse, every single healthcare provider, has risked their lives every single month Mm -hmm. and over something that, you know, could take their life in a very painful and long process. And they're trained how to do it. And they're awesome people. Yep. They really are. Was there anything else you'd like to add to our interview today? Um, I just want people to know that there's so much that they can do for themselves and that the more that they're willing to do, every single little thing that they do will make Mm -hmm. managing health care easier and better and will give them better health. 
So if you can't take on the whole thing, don't worry about it. Pick just one thing that you can do. Research your um, your situation or improve your eating habits so that you can help your body. Um, just one thing that you think you could do, and it will help your health. Well, thank you, E.B. Andrew, for joining us today. Please tell our listeners okay, where they can get your book. Um, it is on Amazon. Um, okay. And the name of it if again? You, if you have gray hair, beware. Tips, tools, and tricks to get your new met in health care. <laughs> love it. Just love it. <laughs> and do you have a website? Uh, yes. You can look at ebandrew.com or uh, grayhairaware.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you, Denise. You take care, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That wraps up our show for today. Some really great information for everyone. Please join us again next Wednesday. We'll have another great show. Until then, be good, be well. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer Now What? for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?